Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cyber Inspiration Podcast. My name is Evgeny. I've been around security for the last 20 years, and I have a lot of experience working with a variety of cybersecurity vendors. My main work is vendor consulting and cybersecurity advisory for companies. As part of my passion in technology and cyber, I was intrigued to learn how companies start. I started the podcast to understand the thinking process and what motivated people to start their own company. This podcast is also affiliated with the Security Architecture Podcast. I have a pleasure today to have David from Ambit talk about their solution and their journey. It's nice to meet you. It's good to be here with you. David, can you tell me a bit about yourself and the company? My co-founder and I, Kevin Sapp, we co-founded Ambit back in October of 2021. So it's going on about just under a year and a half. We've been partners together, Kevin and I, for almost 17 years doing a variety of companies. And I'll keep coming back to this as a theme. Having people that you like to work with, that you trust, is really important, as well as it makes the journey more fun. So Ambit secures access between applications. If your company develops software that talks to an API or that connects to a database, that client software needs to authenticate and be authorized to access that database or that API. You need some system to be able to manage access. So Ambit is identity and access management between applications, like Okta or other companies are identity and access management between users and applications. This is very interesting. I think there was a knowledge and study about that around 85% of internet traffic right now, it's an API traffic. So it's definitely a very needed solution in the space. We agree with that. And I know we don't want to talk too much tech here, okay? But the notion that there's connectivity beyond between people and services, that there's connectivity between applications, and that you need to secure that access, we think that's really important. It's a big number, big amount of connectivity today already. And it'll be a whole new surface for exploits and vulnerabilities. Plus, you just want a way of making it easy to secure access. And that's what we're doing here at Ambit. Isn't this fascinating that 10 years ago, the idea of API was not even available? I love it. Okay. And I've worked with VCs over the years. People always recommend that you got to wait till function becomes mature before you start adding security. Now, I don't know if that's good security advice, but it's practical advice that people are very interested in adding security once the underlying issues are more clear. So the rise of APIs, both within an enterprise and between enterprises, is clearly a secular trend that motivated us here at Ampit. We have many examples like DNS, SMTP, HTTP, all these great protocols started as a functional protocols and only then we added the S or figure out how to secure them. Yeah, that's right. And now everybody's turning to talk about APIs just a little bit. Everybody's turning their sort of applications inside out. Instead of hiding the applications behind a firewall, they're exposing their services to partners and to themselves on the internet. And so this rise of APIs is, is really making things very efficient. It's probably almost impossible to always hide them behind a firewall because the next generation firewalls push everyone to use HTTP and HTTPS. Mm-hmm. And with the move to the cloud, IIS, or even SaaS, the main protocol is GPS. So there is really no function of the firewall there. It's by default exposed, or I'm building the application that people can access there. So the API will be open by default. And it's a part of a company's business model. You have all sorts of things that you want to expose. And part of that is exposing APIs so partners can access your services and take advantage of your services. 
The way we like to think about it is applications today are very distributed and they're composed of things you write and then things other people write and then APIs that are on the internet. So you started your company during pandemic. What was the motivation? Like what happened? So I think the pandemic was ending, but I did start the company while people were still not traveling. So until summer of 2021, Kevin and I were still both at Netscope. And we had gone into Netscope because Netscope had acquired our previous company, New Edge Labs, which became Netscope Private Access. So we had a great run at Netscope. Netscope's a great company. And our product became pretty important as part of the Netscope portfolio. But we're startup guys. And as that product matured within Netscope, I think we both got the itch that it was time to step back from a bigger company and time to start something new. It was also kind of interesting as at Netscope, I guess I hadn't been in the office for since COVID started. So it was probably a year and a half that I hadn't been in the office. I remember a funny story about a year later after we started Ambit, I was out at RSA. It was the first RSA after COVID. And I went in to see people, my old colleagues from Netscope, and I had only been out of Netscope like nine months, but it was a little unfamiliar to see everybody. Because I hadn't realized it was really two years and nine months since I had been in the same room with people. And you remember this. Interesting. Yeah. So you want to start a company. How do you decide what was the topic? When we've started companies before, we've always used a combination of our own sense of where the market is happening and sense of what's difficult technology. But also, you got to listen to customers. So I always say customers are smarter than us as vendors or as founders. We did have this sense that service-to-service -service access was really important and that most people were focused on human-to-service access, that there was a gap there. But more importantly, we had started to hear this from customers. So both in Netscope and before Netscope, when we were offering the private access, the zero trust network access solution, which connected users to behind the firewall applications, customers would ask us, what about connecting applications from one network to another? You're going from a client in one network to a database that's in another network. They weren't asking about APIs in particular, right? Which was the where we started the conversation five minutes ago. But customers were talking about this service to service thing. And when none of the companies that we were at were focused on anything but user to service. So this was clearly related analogies to what we were doing, but it wasn't related to the business that Netscope or similar companies were in. Did you need to do a validation of the solution or because you already heard from multiple people to like the angle, you said, okay, I'm going to go and build it. I think that there's layers in that. We left Netscope in the summer of 2021, and then we took some time off. And then we went back to think about what should we do next? And we remembered the service to service question. And then the question is, do you have enough confidence that you want to start a business around it? And then once you start the business around it, then you probably want to go through what you were talking about, which is what should the shape of the offering look like? How should it be presented to the market? So there's different stages of validation, at least that the way we think about it. And the first stage is getting enough confidence that you want to start a company around this problem. And then how do you get enough confidence that you can raise money around that? And then how do you start to get enough confidence to build something with a shape 
that customers will want. And then how do you keep revising that in order to get something that's repeatedly scalable? The product market fit, which may be another milestone. Did you actually went and talk to CISOs to validate if you're going to buy it if you build it? So after we started Ambit, we talked to lots of people. I think we talked to 100 people over the course of this past year. And we talked to CISOs and we talked to developers and DevOps. We talked to all sorts of people who are involved in this service-to-service problem or this what we call workload-to-workload. And that's really important because you want to be able to get a sense of how are they thinking about it? What are their use cases? And we were able to come up with pretty crisp examples of the use cases that we would want to solve. One theme that we do when we build a company, Kevin and I, is we like to present our solution, not in terms of what it does, but in terms of the use cases that the customer will use the solution to solve from the customer's perspective. And that's like when we were talking the workloads accessing APIs or workloads accessing databases. Those are very concrete use cases that matter to the guy who's trying to get his job done. And we need to make sure that our solution addresses those use cases and that we can talk about it in terms of how those users will use our system to make their jobs easier. Were you able to get design partners as part of this validation? Yeah, that was really important. So we like to work with design partners early, and we had a large handful of design partners that we were working with. And those partners then eventually start to adopt the technology. We were really pleased when recently one of them went to production with our system. What was the next step? So you've all did the solution. Are you raising money, hiring people? So we raised money. Our first investor was Ballistic Ventures. They're a security-centric seed stage fund, early stage fund. Maybe first money fund would be a better word. They're based in the Bay Area. And so we raised our first money in December of 2021, shortly after we started the company. How was the methodology of hiring people? How did you choose people? Do you have some kind of views of what's important for you in the company? What kind of people you want to hire? So one is we have a pretty good network. Cam and I have worked together for a long time. We have people that we've worked with, other people who had left Netscope and joined us who had worked with us in the past. So we like people who are very competent. We like people who are both curious and effective. We also, I don't know how to put a finger or a name on it, but gelling, so the culture, so people can work together. We really value that people can work together effectively. Were you trying to be like a culture or because you and Kevin worked for so long, you guys already have a culture and you knew what you're looking for in people? I think that it's a mix. What two people have or four people have will change over time. But we're fully distributed. We're fully remote company. So the culture is also really important because you can't do that development of the culture over a water cooler. You need to be able to do it like we're doing now over Zoom. And you need to be able to have the steps where people can learn to talk to each other in the right ways so that people can be aligned Our first year was entirely on development. So except for me, everybody was product and engineering. So that group is really tight. We were really amazed. The progress was was really very fast. We were ahead of where we were and where we expected to be one year after company launch. Let's focus on you. So you're the only salesperson in the company when it all started. And it's traditionally okay because the CEO is the guys that sell. But in one point, you need to go back and let other people sell the baby and make sure they sell it correctly. Are you in the point where you only have a sales team or are you still selling by yourself right now? No, we're starting to hire now. We raised our second round in February of this year. We just announced it a month ago. And so with that runway, we're investing in our go-to-market. 
till now, like you said, sales are founder-led. So Kevin and I do this all together, but that's not a bad thing. It doesn't scale. But one of the wonderful things that we like about being at a startup is the tight feedback loops with customers. So you learn a lot from engaging a customer, both about did you design it exactly right? Is the shape of the user interface exactly right? What problems do they really care about? Who's your actual user? What does he get from it? That feedback and attention, sort of a white glove treatment of the first customers is really useful. I call it this question, chicken and the egg, because you mentioned you have a tight feedback from the customers. And a lot of the time, customers say, oh, if you have this feature, I'll buy it. Now, do you say, yeah, if you have this feature, one second, and you run back home and develop it quickly? Or say, no, we don't have this feature, but we're going to have it available for you in Q2. What's your approach? My view of when customers work, especially with startups, but it's actually with any company, is nobody's buying the software that you're shipping today. They're buying a partnership with the vendor. And you need to be able to think about this as a journey where we'll learn together what the use cases are and what the shape of the delivery should evolve to be in order to solve your problem set in an increasingly wide and deep way. At any point in time, there's things that we don't know, but there's also things that we do know that are on the roadmap. And customer feedback is really useful in a secondary way just to prioritize the roadmap. So I want to answer it that you go back and you build the feature they ask for, right? But you start to prioritize your roadmap against the features that customers are asking for because there's just so many opportunities. There, you know, Everything can be something you do next, but you can only do one or two things next. You almost stole a question I wanted to ask. With so many different tasks and so many things to do, how do you stay on top of the tasks? Because just your task, engineering tasks, a lot of things happening. Well, Kevin always talks about swim lanes. It's important to have people you trust and people take responsibility for different parts of the company and it's their job to run with it and that has to line up with other people's swim lanes. That's part of the culture that we were referring to before is there has to be a trust where you kind of know what you're supposed to be doing even if it's sometimes a little bit amorphous and you get there in an effective way. If you go back to the beginning of this company, let's say this company, would you do anything different? I think that we've been pretty fortunate so far. We had an idea. The idea has proved out. We were able to raise money along the way. We got early validation from customers. We got a Gartner Cool Vendor in November, just under a year. So we were a Gartner Cool Vendor in identity-first security. We were the only non-human identity company in that list, a lot of things just were lining up correctly. Now, that doesn't mean that we didn't keep sort of tacking. You know what I'm saying? We didn't say, we're going to do, you know, exactly this in the beginning of November and Gartner Quill Vendor will fall out along the way. I don't think we ever expected that to happen in a year. But I think things sort of matured right in the right way. And then we were able to raise from 10, 11 ventures our second round along with Ballistic. And that moved us along, set us up right for this next phase. Is something particular happened during your journey that you knew, okay, I'm in the right path, customers is buying. Maybe it was a particular customer that liked the feature or became from a POC to a real customer that you really can, okay, I'm doing something right here. Yeah. So I think that you're asking, when do you reflect back? Because a lot of this, you just need to be confident that you're heading in basically the right direction and that you'll learn enough along the way to keep tacking. I think when the design partner started to commit to go live, that was a really strong indication that we were solving the right problem and that it had the right shape 
and that the DevOps guy who was our customer was the right stakeholder within the use and sale of the security product. So I think customers are always first. I think the feedback that we got when we got the Gartner Cool Vendor, that was also really compelling. We were able to find people within the analyst community who really understood. For instance, a lot of those guys, they understand secrets management very well, and they understood that there was a need for IAM that was for workloads, where secrets management was the password management for workloads. So that was really good feedback to us, that somebody who was an advisor to the ecosystem, would understand he was hearing from customers that they needed things like this. So a third-party unbiased opinion. We're going to transition to something we call the dark side. Everybody's still listening. It's a place where we talk about stuff that didn't really go well as we expected. Sometimes there is nothing like that happening, but sometimes it is. So David, maybe share a story. It could be raising money, bad customer calls. I think that lots of bumps happen along the way. Maybe as an overall framing of that is we've been around the block on this, in this company formation. I think that this is like the fourth company that Kevin and I either did together or independently. There's always a roller coaster and we try to sort of stay on even keel. It's never quite as good as the day you got Quill Vendor, and it's never quite as bad as your worst customer call. So let's just stay in the middle a little bit and use all of those as learning experiences. It does take some effort to be even killed. And I don't mean that you shouldn't celebrate the good stuff or be introspective about the bad stuff. Of course, you should do that. But kind of riding the middle and then being able to look around a little bit and saying a quarter or a half year or a year later, have you made some progress? rather than trying to evaluate it every day. I think that's really important. So that would be, and you hit it, right? We've had things where you talk to somebody and he says, I do this already. I don't need this. Or you talk to somebody and they say, won't the cloud vendor just do this? And the answer is everybody's multi-cloud. So the cloud vendor won't do this. So you get that feedback. And I'm sure on the engineering side, there's things that come up, but at some point, nothing's insurmountable. I like the example you give from navigation and sailing about Kiel, so this is very awesome. Let's talk about you, because when you have a bad day, how David came back to be himself a happy day, meditation, running, family. We all work pretty hard. As I've gotten older, I've tried to be a little more focused on my family and my kids. But since COVID, all the kids have moved out, so I no longer have them around. I think it's just good to have my wife and Kevin is always reassuring. We can work through things together. Also, like we pointed out, the bad things happen, but they're not always deadly. And so take the night off and come back and you got to get back to work. Gotcha. David, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for being here on the podcast. It's my pleasure. Nice to meet with you. Everybody that's still listening, please join us in the next episode as well. Thank you very much.